Hey there, welcome to another edition of Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we are going back to, um, I guess what you could call an interesting moment in time, March of 2020. That was the uh, last show that we recorded in front of a live audience before, um, well, we all know what happened. Uh, and in fact, that week, our announcer, Elena Passarella, was under the weather. It was kind of lost on us how serious that kind of stuff was about to get. Anyway, we were lucky enough to have Hari Kondabalu fill in at the last minute. And we talked to science writer Sarah Scholes about UFOs and why some people really want to believe in them. Plus, we heard some truly amazing music from Angelica Garcia, which we are excited to share with you all. So stick around for that, because it's going to be good. And a little weird, but mostly good. And it all gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey there, Elena. Hey, Luke. How you doing? I'm doing well this week. I'm feeling excited Woo-hoo! to get this little radio show happening. How about you? You ready to do this? I can't wait. Okay. Molly, are we recording this? We are ready to go, Luke. Beautiful. All right. Take it away, Elena. From PRX, it's Livewire. This week, comedian Hari Kondabalu, science writer Sarah Scholes, and music from Angelica Garcia. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We have a great show in store for you this week, albeit a little bit of an unusual one. Uh, This was an episode we recorded right before the lockdown, uh, which now feels like a long, long time ago. Anyway, before we get to any of that, it's time for the best news we heard all week. Of course, this is our little reminder at the top of the show. There's good stuff happening out there in the world. (laughs) Sometimes easy to forget it's happening. (laughs) Uh, And so, uh, Elena, what is the best news you heard all week? 
Okay, this may not sound like news because it's like 390-something years old, but it is. Okay. I promise. It's a liberal, kind of a very loose <laughs> definition of newsworthiness, but I'm here for it. There's, there's, a, there's been some new developments in the oh, okay. case of Elizabeth Johnson, who was one of the many people who were convicted of witchcraft in those witch trials that, you know, right. were in, you know if you've ever read The Crucible. Which could happen... For just about any reason, just if you if you sneezed wrong, yeah. you're probably a witch in yeah. those days. If you if a cat followed you, you know, mm-hmm. if you enjoyed rutabagas, whatever, <laughs> right. you'd be in real trouble. That's right. Goody Passarello. That's one of my favorite things Indeed. about the Crucibles that everyone is called Goody. So right. in the centuries that have followed, a lot of those people who were convicted have been exonerated or they've had the charges clear. Even Elizabeth Johnson's mother was one of those people. But for some really? reason, Elizabeth Johnson never got the clearance. And when this class at North Andover Middle School found that out, they turned it into this civics lesson. A teacher named Carrie LaPierre ran through all of the red tape and the proliferism and all the forms and things that you would have to do to get a person pardoned. And they took it all the way to Massachusetts State Senator Diana DiZaglio, who has introduced legislation to clear Goody Johnson's name. Wow. I know. Great use of educational time, don't you think? This is a very good lesson for these uh, school kids because it's like uh, an injustice, however Mm -hmm. long ago is still worth writing, right? Yeah. Go Goody Johnson. Yeah, good on you, Goody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The best news I saw all week actually comes out of Alabama, which has been kind of struggling with good news right now in that Alabama is one of the lowest vaccinated states in the country, Mm. Uh, but not if Dorothy Oliver has anything to do with it. Um, The town that she lives in, Panola, Alabama, is um, it's like 30 or 40 miles away from the nearest vaccination center. Whoa. And um, so I, the authorities, whoever was giving out the vaccine, said, we'll come to a pop-up in your town, your small rural Alabama town, but you got to have at least 40 people agree to get the vaccine. Okay. And so Dorothy just went door-to-door around Panola, Alabama, and... <laughs> Got enough people. In fact, she not only got 40 people to agree, she got 94% of her town (gasps) to agree to get vaccinated. And so they brought the pop-up out and 94% of her town is now vaccinated, which is pretty cool. Amazing. She probably upped the numbers for the state of Alabama too. I know, right? (laughs) She apparently just has this incredibly sort of gentle, friendly way. Everybody in the town knows her. They love her. So like when Ms. Dorothy Uh said, everyone sign up for this. People knew you needed to sign up for it. Here's, I think, the greatest part. Like, you know, if you or I got 94% of uh, our city or town vaccinated, I think we'd be feeling pretty good about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ms. Dorothy said, I have the names of everyone who hasn't been vaccinated and I'm still working on them. (laughs) So if you're one of the, like, last four people in Panola, Alabama, and you're not vaccinated, Ms. Dorothy is coming for you. So just be. Well, you know, that's the way they say they get it done is you get a friend or a person that you know and trust convinces you to do it. Not more than any state sanctioned commercial or anything like that. That's what gets jabs. So good on you, Dorothy. That's right. Good job, Dorothy. Oliver, that is the best news that we've heard all week. This is Livewire from PRX. Okay, we are about to dive into 
uh, an episode of the show that we originally recorded right before lockdown. And uh, our friend Hari Kondabalu, the comedian and writer, was actually filling in for you, Elena, because mm-hmm. you were sick. <laughs> and at the time, we just thought, well, you know, maybe Elena's trying to take a little PTO, take the day off. <laughs> Turns out this was a time when people not feeling well should have avoided other folks. So we're glad that's how things played out. Yeah. Uh, of course, we asked our audience a question that week at the Alberta Rose Theater. The question was, outside the world of politics, what are you still an undecided voter on? Uh, and we had the audience answering those questions. And I actually, I started off giving my answer. Again, this is at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, recorded in March of last year. The thing I'm undecided on is... Um, if we should really wash our legs in the shower or not. Mm. How else would they get clean? I'm not talking about feet, okay? Feet, they're doing a lot of work. They're in socks, which are in shoes. Those need to be cleaned. But I'm talking about like mostly your shin area. Like how dirty Mm. is the average person, like I'm not talking about a rugby player or professional soccer player, but like a public radio host. How dirty are my shins actually getting on a daily basis that I need to spend time in the shower washing my legs? Well, based on that logic, shouldn't you not, like, wash your chest or your stomach? My chest is filthy. (laughs) I don't want to get into that. Okay, okay. No, you're right, though, actually. Honestly, I could probably leave chest and stomach out of it, too. Right, so you would wash your face. Yeah. Your your arms, hands, yeah. Uh, you armpits, armpits, nether, nether regions. regions. Thank you. Right. Uh, we didn't even rehearse that. We just both said nether regions in stereo. And you'd skip right to feet. Yeah, I think and, at the end of my life. How much time exactly? I mean, at the end of a lifetime, probably over seven minutes, <laughs> if you add it all up. Right, right, right. I do wash my legs, but I have to admit, as I'm lathering up my shins, I feel like. I'm probably wasting my time. I just don't know how critical it is to my overall biome. Okay, here's the thing. So you're uh, you're washing your body, right? You're yes. getting the filth off. Yes. Some of that filth is gonna is gonna drip down onto your legs and oh your shins. Gosh. So at the bare minimum, you have to clean off the filth that yes. was recently added. That's migrated your, from the right. other parts of my body. Yes. Wow. Okay. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you're here, Hari. What about you? What is, what's, what's something that you're sort of an undecided voter on outside of politics? Um, I, I think it's making the bed. I feel really, because on one hand, I understand. When you make the bed, there was a feeling of, okay, it's a new day. Mm-hmm. It's, some people say it, it, it's good for your state of mind to see things in order. But to me, it's a worthless activity because we know it's going to happen again. Like, you know, by the end of the night, I'm a comedian. So it's like maybe an hour later. It's gonna, <laughs> That's your schedule? It's, <laughs> it's, it's wake up for two hours, yeah. nap for an hour, wake up for two hours, nap. Yeah. Um, so what is it's like building a sand castle right near the water. Like you know what's going to happen. It's going to be undone in moments. I have to admit I'm a big bed maker because there are certain days when it's the one accomplishment that I achieve. <laughs> like I put a lot of very doable things on my to-do list. Right. Like brush, check. Yes, honestly it'll be like Go outside. Right. <laughs> look around. Okay, did it. Right. And I mean, there are days when making the bed, I'll walk into the bedroom and I'll see the beds made and I'll be like, well, we got that going for us, burbs. <laughs> Do you know why the people aren't laughing right now? Because they have real jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they're like, oh, that's neat. So there are just some days you think waking up is the accomplishment. Okay. Um, what are these hardworking audience members here at the Alberta Rose Theater saying about the things that they're undecided on, Hari? Well, Neil is undecided whether Genesis reuniting without Peter Gabriel is, is a good idea. That's, I mean, I'm surprised there are undecided voters on that. That seems like an automatic no. Yeah, I mean... Do they still have Phil Collins, though? No, Phil, it, it doesn't matter if Peter Gabriel's in the band right now. He hasn't been in the band in a really long time. Also, if you listen to early Genesis, there's four nerds in this audience that like it, and the rest... Exactly, they, I know Portland. They and just they just wooed weekly. Yeah, that's 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 passive it. aggression. Um, but they like nobody cares about Peter Gabriel's Genesis. People, I didn't even know Peter Gabriel was in Genesis until a few years ago because all the hits came with Phil Collins. The fact I know anything about this band tells you that I've studied middle class white people for quite some time. <laughs> Because I'm talking about Genesis. <laughs> okay. What, what else uh, are the uh, uh, audience members still undecided on? Well, Laura's undecided about food expiration dates. Are they real or not? They're not real. I don't think they're real. They're not real. You're telling me that, like, if there's no mold and a bunch of strawberries, but it's past due. Well, clearly, I can't trust my eyes. I need to trust the government. <laughs> I, yeah. I do a lot of testing of how bulgy the container is. <laughs> like if it's tight like a drum. Yeah, yeah. Throw that out. Food expiration dates, like they're super careful about it because they don't want to get sued and right. stuff. There's no upside. In fact, there, there's an incentive for them to tell you it's bad. Right. Soon, because then you have to buy more. Like somebody on Twitter wrote about how about every two weeks they go buy one of those bags of salad so then they can throw out the unopened bag of salad that was in the refrigerator and replace it with a new bag of salad. Just to avoid actually getting the lettuce and breaking it off and chopping into pieces. Yeah. You don't buy those bags of lettuce in New York where you live? I do, but I'm trying to show some kind of moral high ground here yeah. that I don't actually have. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. Uh, one more. What is the audience undecided on? Um, well, Sarah's undecided if farts are funny. <laughs> farts are funny. Yeah. They're very funny. We can yeah. pretend that, like, if I farted right now, some people would laugh and be kind of nervous and feel kind of weird. But if it was, like, the three of us and we were friends in a room and one of us farted, we're laughing. Yeah. How hilarious. A sound came out of our butt. <laughs> Who would have expected that? Look at that. We're, we're pretending we're not animals. And then, I am an animal. <laughs> Hari, you are the perfect person to be here with us this week, <laughs> as has already been demonstrated. But in case people are uh, slightly unfamiliar with your body of work, you have this great Netflix special that's streaming right now. It's called Warn Your Relatives. Uh, you were named one of Variety's top 10 comics to watch. You were Not also, just comics to listen to. No, but to watch. Yeah. You were also named one of the London School of Economics graduates when you graduated from there That's true. with a That's graduate true. degree. A lot of money was wasted before I chose this job. Yeah. Do you think that was a waste? Um, you got your, your graduate degree in human rights from the London School of Economics? I mean, human rights is only slightly more lucrative than stand-up comedy. Um, 
I, I mean, it's not a waste in terms of I feel like I grew a lot getting that degree. I, I learned a lot about the world and I met a lot of incredible people who were my classmates but also served as my teachers. But if I was my parents, <laughs> yes, it's a waste. Yes, it was, it was a waste. Yeah. Yeah. This is Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We're playing a chat that we had with comedian Hari Kondabalu recorded back in March of 2020 at the Alberta Rose Theater. Uh, We have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. ZBiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/slash livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Okay, uh, let's get back to our conversation with the comedian Hari Kondabalu. This was recorded back in March. Uh, Hari was actually out on tour and was filling in for Elena, who was a little under the weather that week. Take a listen. Do you like touring? Do you like being on the road? Is it fun? I love stand-up comedy enough where I'm okay getting on planes constantly. I really don't like touring. I mean, initially it was really nice to stay at different fancy hotels, and then you realize, you know, a Hampton Inn is as good as anything else. You know what I mean? And and then you're going to step over USA Today, right? Right. Might as well be at a Hampton Inn. And also, like, I have, like, Delta Diamond status, which makes me feel really good. And then I realize I have that because I missed birthdays and weddings and important times with my friends and family. But I get to board the plane first. <laughs> I get orange juice in a real glass. Yeah. Stuff like that. What about all of the different venues when you're on the road? Is there... Can you tell kind of right when you walk into a space or maybe when you see the crowd is there an initial moment where you realize this is going to be a good night or not a great night no like it's one of those things where i think all comics like like size up the audience and it's weird because i like so much of my stand-up is about racism and not prejudging people but as soon as the audience walks in i'm like what 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 are these camouflage people doing here with those camo (laughs) pants i don't like that backwards hat Oh, that backward, oh man, that dude with the polo shirt with the collar up, he looks like a bully. (laughs) Like, you're immediately sizing up the crowd. Have you, because you've been performing for a long time, have you learned a strategy for not letting that get into your head when you're performing? Because you could be somewhere 
you know, I don't want to make any judgments based on a region, but you could be in a part of the country where the content of a lot of your material could maybe not go over great. Well, I've noticed that the content of my material doesn't go over weight in many different regions <laughs> of the country. Uh, you can bomb it, almost that, anywhere. I can bomb anywhere, in fact. Um, that's versatility. Yeah, no. Um, you know, Five-tool condabalu, they call you. <laughs> I mean, I think that a good comic does their best to make the audience laugh, even if the audience isn't digging their material. So, you know, I'll just go off script, and I'll, like you know, talk about what's happening in the room and, and try to win the crowd over. And I think that if there's, if there's ideas that I share that people aren't into, like you're more likely to humor a friend who like has ideas you might not like than a stranger yelling at you. And I feel like if I can win the crowd over, uh, you know, I, I can usually find a way to make the show work. And if not, I just think about the check. <laughs> Midway through, I look at the clock, and I'm like, 25 more minutes, and I get my check. That's amazing that even when you're performing stand-up comedy, there's that sort of moment of just being Fred Flintstone waiting to slide down <laughs> oh, that dinosaur at the end of the those day. Those are like, good a, shows, obviously. Yeah. Those are the moments where I'm like, ah, I should have picked up another master's degree. This, is, <laughs> this was a terrible idea, you know? We are talking to Hari Kondabalu. His uh, Netflix special is Warn Your Relatives. Um, Hari, we feel like we know you pretty well on this show. You're on a lot. You're a good friend of the show. I feel like you and I are real friends even yes. off stage. But I also think that we might be able to get to know you on an even deeper level. And to that end, we've got this jar on stage. It's got wow. the five essential questions of our time in it. We call this exercise the jar of truth. So here's how this usually works. Our announcer, Elena Passarello, will draw a question from the jar and read it. And then the guest will answer the question from the Jar of Truth. But because this week, Hari, you are both the announcer and the guest, right. we're just going to have you draw a question out of the jar and read it and give us your answer. And because you are a stand-up comedian, these are all questions about stand-up comedy. Okay. This okay. is the stand-up comedy-related Jar of Truth. Well, Hari, um, <laughs> which is a bigger occupational hazard, too much caffeine or too little caffeine? Too much caffeine. Oh, without a doubt, too much caffeine. Because too little caffeine, you still get the adrenaline from the audience, and that'll drive you. Too much caffeine, you're like freaking out on stage. Your heart is going like way too fast. Like, the, like you can't read, like at least for me, I have trouble reading the audience because my mind is going so quickly. It's not a good idea, so I try not to have caffeine a couple hours before the show. And yet, yeah. I know that there's a coffee shop uh, near your house in Brooklyn yeah. that gave you free coffee for life. Yeah, they did give you free coffee for life. But yeah. then, if I remember <laughs> chatting with you about it, some of the employees weren't hip to the deal, so you had to sort of casually try to let them know that you were entitled to free yeah, coffee. Yeah, 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 which sounds really weird because it's hard to say, do you know who I am when they don't? <laughs> it's incredibly painful. And then the next thing you're knowing, you're like Googling yourself, see? You know, did like so? Did the owner of the coffee shop say, "Hurry, you you get"? Oh, you talked about him in some interview, right? And that's how they bestowed this on you. I, I it was a few things. Well, the first time they, it's a New Zealand um, pie shop. Oh, right. But Brooklyn's gentrified. And you think so? No, but it's a <laughs> it's a New Zealand pie shop, and um, they the the folks there are friends with Taika Waititi, and this oh, was yeah. this was years ago, and so they wanted me to do a Q and A with him. Uh, 
remotely in, I believe it was the Angelica in New York. And for that, they gave me free coffee for a year. And then I'm like, but I want it for another year. So then uh, I wore uh, one of their shirts on At Midnight. Oh, right. Uh, the television show on Comedy Central. Yeah. So I got it for another year. <laughs> and then uh, I had my film, The Problem with Apu, and I shot uh, a couple of scenes in the coffee shop. So then I got it for another year. And then the next year I had to figure out what to do. And they just said, just, just have the coffee. <laughs> just, have the, just, just have the coffee for free forever. So. But you have to be careful that you're not over-caffeinated when you do a show, though. Yeah, I got to pace it a little bit. I mean, like, I don't drink before at all. I think there's placebo. I've had, like, a sip of... I don't drink a lot, so keep this in mind. I had a sip of pumpkin ale once, and... Um, <laughs> boy, that was a sloppy show. <laughs> That's how these people get right in the morning. <laughs> Although it's some uh, Portland IPA, probably. All right, Hari, can you draw yeah. another question from the Jar of Truth? Okay. It's really challenging to hold the question and read. And Elena Passarello, our, our usual announcer, has some amazing ability to do this. But I'm, I always marvel at it. And because it's, it's, you're trying to do a lot up there with the holding of these folded up papers. You know, the people who have real jobs here are not impressed <laughs> at all about this. Trying to make you sound cool and talented God, to some yeah, listeners in so Iowa somewhere. For, the, for those people at the microphones to hold paper and read and talk. <laughs> Oh man! See the and problem. Chew gum and drink water and talk and. This is what happens when your <laughs> fill-in announcer slash comedy friend was a community organizer at one point. This is deeply still in the struggle, and everything I say speaks to my privilege. And you're not wrong. Hurry! <laughs> is it easier to bomb in front of friends or enemies? Oh, brother. Um, it's easier to bomb in front of friends only if you have proven you are a good comedian in front of them before. Because, like, it's hard to bomb in front of them when you start your career because, you know, like, you think you're like, oh, I've had a bunch of good shows. You should show, show up finally. I'm going to invite my friends and my coworkers. They're going to see me perform. And you bomb. It's like, oh, you don't really do comedy. Like, everything you've worked for has completely been shattered in front of you. But at this point, it's like I could have a bad show. And, you know, they'll be like, all right, bombing in front of my enemies. Why are my enemies at my show? Well, yeah. Yeah, I, that question is written in a very James Bondian fashion. Like, you have comedy enemies who are plotting against you, petting a hairless cat, <laughs> just ready for your demise. I mean, honestly, I'm fine bombing in front of my enemies because that means they had to pay to get in. And yeah. I have their money, so it kind of works out. It's a power move thank from you. Hari Kondabalu, who tamed the jar of truth. Yeah, nice thanks. job. Yeah, thank you. That was Hari Kondabalu here on Livewire, recorded uh, back in March of last year. Uh, you can still catch Hari's Netflix special, Warn Your Relatives, which is out right now, or his documentary, The Problem with Apu, uh, which is now on HBO Max. Or you can just keep listening to Livewire because Hari is going to pop back up throughout this hour of the show. So stick around for that. This is Livewire from PRX. Hey, special thanks this episode to Craig Collins of Portland, Oregon. 
Craig is part of the Livewire member community and generously is supporting our show with a donation each month. We're very thankful for that support because it's genuinely what allows us to keep this whole thing going. So a huge thanks to Craig. This is Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we're playing um, some selections from an episode that we recorded back in March of 2020. Now, this was the last show that we taped in front of a live audience. Uh, and during that show, we talked to a science journalist named Sarah Scholes. Uh, she used to work at the National Radio Astronomy Observatory, uh, which is where she got super interested in UFOs. Uh, but maybe more to the point, interested in the people who are desperate to believe in extraterrestrial life. So she wrote a book about it. It's called They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. Take a listen to this. It's our chat recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater back in March of 2020. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, the jumping off point for this book is this 2017 New York Times article, which a lot of people, me included, read with tremendous interest because it was not some kooky internet publication or late night radio show. It was a The New York Times interviewing naval pilots and other people with sort of like credentials who were saying, and there was video included on the, the web version, of objects that seemed unidentifiable. Like, honestly, that took me from being a non-believer to being someone who's open to the idea, right? What all was in this article and how much of a game changer was that? Yeah, this article was a very big deal. It was on the front page of the New York Times in December 2017, and it basically said there was this five-year UFO program that the Pentagon had where they were investigating sightings by very credible pilots um, shown in these videos in the article, and that this was a thing that was a national security threat, and um, they also claimed that they maybe had debris from crashed saucers yeah. and that there were people who had been medically affected by them. And I was kind of like you. I was like, the, you know, this is the New York Times. I trust the New York Times. This is an incredible story. Um, and I'm a little freaked out by it, to be honest. But um, when I read it again, I started to uh, notice that not all of it was, was fitting together. Like, you know, it's my job to also put together articles. And so I thought there were some holes in the narrative. And it was kind of... Um, looking into those holes that led me to become friends with all of these people in the UFO underworld and be writing this book. Is it accurate to say that they do have video of these kind of white orb-like things that are moving in a way on these, this is camera that's mounted on the plane, I think, right? Mm -hmm. That are moving in a way that we cannot really explain its, its movement? Yeah, well, I'm not a fighter pilot, so I can't say for sure. Um, but the Navy has said that the objects in the videos are what they call uh, UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Um, and so they, they've essentially said they're UFOs, but their definition of UFOs also includes drones and things that are just unauthorized. So it's kind of, it's kind of very confusing. Yeah. You went to something early in the book called the, well, the UFO Congress. What goes on at the UFO Congress? <laughs> Um, <laughs> alien politics, lots of, uh -huh. you know, I think that was like Star Wars 9, things. right? When it got very boring. <laughs> um, yeah. There's an embargo in the Dagobah system. 
Yeah, exactly. So you don't need to go. So you've right. already been there. Yeah. Um, no, the UFO Congress is one of the largest UFO conferences um, in the world, I believe. And it just brings together UFO celebrities, um, people who are true believers, uh, people who are interested in the passage of alien bills um, and legislation. Well, um, not... not intergalactic no, legislation, but rather bills that relate to? No, actually, that was just a joke that didn't go oh. over that well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you that New York Times article really did a number on my brain, Sarah. I'd believe anything. I mean, I think they're taking session abstracts if you want to propose some, yeah. uh, something for the Congress next year. Who counts yeah. as a UFO celebrity? <laughs> <laughs> Alf. Oh, I mean... <laughs> yeah. Alf yeah, is his government good. name. His real name is Gordon Shumway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a gathering place for people to come and share their ideas about UFOs, whether those are extremely believing or extremely skeptical. And what is the kind of spectrum of people that you talk to in this book? Because, you know, you, you run into people who clearly are very bright and they're, they're research-oriented and they take this really seriously. And then there are other people who are maybe less so that you talk to. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it runs the gamut from people who are essentially amateur historians who get lots of government documents declassified, and there are people who lobby Congress to research UFOs more. Um, and then there are people who treat UFOs more like a religion and just believe everything they're told. I remember I was sitting in a session in the UFO Congress, actually, and someone was reading from these documents that said that there were, uh, I think, five species of aliens that uh, were convening with politicians. You may be surprised to know this. I was surprised also to learn this. Um, but the woman next to me was like, oh, wow, five species. That's crazy. Um, and which is a different reaction. Um, Did they say which politicians? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah. I've got some theories. <laughs> you, have to, you have to buy the registration to the Congress yeah. before you get to <laughs> right. find out that information. Um, but I think what all those people have in common is that they're really interested in the in having like a mystery in their life and a big problem to solve. Uh, this is Livewire Radio. We're talking to Sarah Scholes. Her new book is They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. Can we talk about the AATIP? What is that organization? Yes, that is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, and that's the Pentagon program that they ran from 2007 to 2012. And this was started by Harry Reid, or he was instrumental in it, the senator from Nevada? Yeah, so uh, Harry Reid helped get a man named Robert Bigelow, who's a very rich man in Nevada, who made a bunch of money building budget hotels and then uh, built inflatable modules that go to the space station and has always had kind of had this paranormal interest in UFOs. And he was kind of friends with Harry Reid. He was a donor and the two of them, um, essentially, I'm not privy to all of the dealings, but um, the AATIP or ATIP, as the insiders say, um, was a $22 million program that essentially went straight from this idea the two of them had to Robert Bigelow's company. Huh. Why did it end? Um, that depends on who you ask. Um, but the money ran out and uh, other people in Washington said, you know, this isn't discovering anything we find to be worthwhile and we're going to shut it down. Those are the politicians that were meeting yeah. with aliens. That's my oh, top yeah, yeah. five right there, obviously. <laughs> three, three of the species were not on board. Yeah. <laughs> they was the other thing. Where does the guy from the band Blink-182 fit into all of this? Because he plays a surprisingly prominent role in the book as well. He does. Is Are this you Tom? A fan, Is by it the way? Tom or Mark? Uh, Tom. Tom. Tom, for Please. sure. Mark mm -hmm. seems to just make fun of Tom over this, right? Yeah. 
he does. Yeah, I think he's the one who called Tom gullible, I believe. Right. But yeah, Tom DeLonge has been very into aliens since at least the 90s. Um, and at some point, some way, he got connected to people who actually knew things about UFOs. He became friends with the man who ran this ATIP program or who says he ran this ATIP program. Um, he became friends with people who used to be high-level intelligence officials, and he kind of brought them all together into this company called To The Stars Academy that now says it's a UFO research company and it's going to reverse engineer a spacecraft, which, I mean, best of luck, right? <laughs> I mean, we're talking to Sarah Scholes. Her new book is They Are Already Here. Now, one of the things I actually like about the book, and I say this as a person who listens to a lot of late-night AM talk radio, which... <laughs> is just sort of interested in these topics is what I, what I like about this book, Sarah, is that you're a science writer and you really are not interviewing these people to make fun of them. You're really trying to understand their experience and, and, and explain why it is that they feel the way that they feel. But how do you do that? Like, how do you maintain a kind of scientific rigor when you are talking to people that are, may or may not be connected to reality? <laughs> like, and how do you keep the book from just turning into kind of like get a load of the guy from Blink-182? Yeah. Because that would have been my initial title for the book. I feel a little bit better making fun of famous rock stars than I do. Yeah, that's punching at, at least Congress. to the middle. Yeah, I, I had actually written an article a while ago about a kind of pseudoscientific community where I did do exactly that. Like, I met people, I said I wanted to try to understand them, and then what I did in the article was actually make fun of them, and I felt bad about mm. it like I didn't like it and so when I was going in to write this UFO book it was really important to me not to do that and so the way I kind of got around it because I myself am not a true believer but I was you know gaining the trust of people who were was to just state where I was coming from up front so that the reader would know this is what I think but when I tell you this person thinks they met all five species with the politicians you know that I don't think that but I'm not I don't need to evaluate that in this sentence. What do you think you learned about uh, humankind in writing this book? Because you talk to a lot of people. And it's a, very, it's a very technically dense book. There are so many different organizations, governmental, non-governmental. Um, but you really, at the core of it, just talk to a lot of people. What do, I don't know if you met any aliens or learned anything about them, but what about humans? Well, I learned that we all have a tiny piece of alien DNA inside of us. That's what you learned? No, that's not true either. Okay. That was also <laughs> true. <laughs> Did you do uh, no. Did you do any actual research for this book or did you just <laughs> Wouldn't we all like to know? Wow. No, um <laughs> I I think that what I learned about humans is um or at least humans and UFOs is we tend to think of UFOs as this thing that like they are real or they're not real. They're physical or they're not there at all. Um, you believe or you don't believe. And it's kind of a scientific question that if you could just gather enough data, you could answer that question. But like practically in the world for all those humans in the book, that's not what UFOs are about. They're about the thing I mentioned earlier of having some kind of mystery and curiosity and a cool thing to investigate and something that's more powerful than you. And I think, you know, religion plays that role for a lot of people. Sometimes science plays that role for a lot of people. And sometimes it's UFOs and the alien species. Sarah Scholes, everybody. Her book is They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. That was science journalist Sarah Scholes here on Livewire. Her book is They Are Already Here, UFO Culture 
why we see saucers. A little update from Sarah. She is working on a new book. It is a portrait of the modern nuclear science and weapons complex. It's called Mass Defect, Life in the New Nuclear Age. So keep your eyes out for that. You are listening to LiveWire. We are playing parts of a show that we recorded back in March 2020 at the Alberta Rose Theater right before things got uh, very locked down. Hari Kondabalu was helping out as our announcer that week. And like we like to do each week, we, of course, asked the audience at the Alberta Rose a question. We asked them, outside the world of politics, what are you still an undecided voter on? Let's go back to the theater now and hear some of those responses helped out by Hari Kondabalu. Hari, what are you seeing? Archie says that he's undecided about working professionally. (laughs) Yeah, I feel you. I feel you on that. The key is to get a job uh, that involves just a slight amount of work, like answering a few emails, putting up a few Instagram or Twitter posts, and then, uh, you know, doing uh, maybe a show a week. Um, and then, like, scamming your friends into flying you all the way to Portland yeah. uh, to guest host a radio show. But you it already, is... but you already have that job. Oh yeah, I guess I'm the only one who can get away with it. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? What are people saying? Their um, personal juries are out on. Well, Kirk is undecided uh, whether long continuous spray or short hard bursts when I use our bidet. <laughs> I'm undecided on Kirk. <laughs> you have a bidet? Oh my God, who has a bidet? Uh, are you saying you bidon't? <laughs> who has a bidet? I have a bidet. You have a bidet? Yeah. Man, I live in a studio apartment in New York. <laughs> in a fa- bidet? In fairness, it's, it was like $8. I bought it online. You hook it up to the existing water that's coming into your bathroom. Right. That's going towards the toilet. So the water is very cold, and the direction of the spray... I'm not Kurt, for the record, even though I could see how you would think I had submitted that. I had a friend who had a very fancy one of these set up at their house. It was, like, heated. There was a fan. But that, it turns out, is about $700 or oh something. Oh, my God. I didn't want to spend that much. So I went with $6, and I got my money's worth. Because now one of the toilets in my house is unusable. Oh, my God. Because there's this weird apparatus on there that is terrifying. Any other interesting submissions from the audience, Harry? Yes. Benny is undecided about online dating. Uh, About whether it should exist or whether I feel like it's maybe not going well for Benny. Yeah, I mean, online dating is a terrible thing. Um, It's how half of this audience met, Hari. It just, it seems like a really weird place to to start. I will say that I find it an interesting thing because there is, it would appear, like my friends that do online dating, there's sort of a vending machine of humans. Yeah. Well, you Like, I come from a culture where it was like, who's still at this bar at this hour? Right. And do they find me repellent? Right. As opposed to, like, online dating, it's like, oh, that was a really good day. I really enjoyed that person's company. But maybe there's somebody better in this phone. How did you meet your girlfriend? That's irrelevant. <laughs> that is irrelevant, Luke. 
All this right. isn't about me. It's about society. Fair. I'm Fair. worried about the American people. Yes. Facebook. But that's not a dating app. Yeah. That was Hari Kondabalu reading audience cards for us at the Alberta Rose Theater back in March of 2020. This right here, this is Livewire from PRX. And we've got to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we've got a song from Angelica Garcia. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, our musical guest this hour, Angelica Garcia, grew up in L.A. These days, though, she's been living in Richmond, Virginia, and her song, Hickama, uh, was featured on none other than Mr. Barack Obama's legendary year-end music playlist. Uh, Angelica stopped by the Alberta Rose Theater back in March of 2020, for what we uh, didn't know then was going to be our final show in front of an audience for a while. So take a listen to this. You grew up in L.A. Mm-hmm. What was the kind of musical scene like in your house growing up? What was playing on the radio? What were what were you hearing? Yeah. Um, so uh, I grew up, I spent a lot of time at my um, maternal grandmother's house Um my aunt, uncle, and mom were all ranchera singers. They all sang at rodeos and at, like, clubs in L.A. when they were kids. So I always grew up hearing Mexican folk music. And um, there was a lot of, like, harmony and singing at parties. And, uh, yeah, so it was, like, a combination of that and, like, American pop music growing up. Like, my mom loved Janet Jackson and... All that stuff. So, did I read your mom actually had a radio hit? Yeah, she did. She did. Um, She had a a billboard chart um, in like '92, I think. Um, And then she had me, so I messed it up. Yeah. (laughs) But what was the song? Uh, She did a a remake of the Rosie and Original song "Angel Baby." Yeah, but if you feel like checking out her album too, it's super '90s. It's really fun. Yeah. Did you know that Barack Obama liked your music before he put it on his year-end list? No. Did you have any idea that was about to happen, or was it like, oh, my God? No, I had no idea. I um, actually had flown in uh, the night before, like, really early in the morning, and so I was totally zonked, and I woke up, like, probably looking like a troll, and I just had all these, like, text messages coming in, and I was like, what's what's going on? And people were like, I'm crying. And I was like, oh God, who died? What happened? <laughs> and, uh, and it was like, oh, Barack Obama, that's crazy. So of course, like after that, the next few days, me and my friends were taking turns, like impersonating his voice, trying to say, Hikoma. Because <laughs> <laughs> the song that he put on his list is Hikoma? Yeah, it's yeah. Hikoma, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> 
Can you imagine him listening to it, like actually listening to it? Well, we were laughing about that because I was like, is he like at the gym, like <laughs> listening to this? I don't know. And then I was like, I was honestly more nervous. Like, I was like, oh my God, Michelle, what if she heard it? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Really cool. <laughs> you you went to this very well-regarded performing arts high school in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you like this comparison or not, but people kind of think of it as like fame, the LA yeah, version. I heard that. <laughs> what was that like to be in that high school environment for you? It was really crazy. Uh, so I didn't even know about the school. And then my stepdad was the one that was like, hey, you love to sing. You should audition to do this. And um, it was great. I, I had a lot of teachers in my family, but it wasn't like formal theory or like classical training. It was more like a homestyle training. And so it was really life-changing for me to get to go and study jazz and to study opera. And um, even though that's not necessarily what I'm doing or what I'm playing, I feel like it affects my technique and how I approach music in general. And so I'm grateful for that. All right. This is Angelica Garcia on Livewire.
That was Angelica Garcia, recorded back in March of last year at the Alberta Rose Theater. Her latest album is Cha-Cha Palace, and she's also on the road with Chicano Batman this fall. You can find tour dates near you at angelicagarciamusic.net. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to podcast host and writer Nicole Perkins about her new book, Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be. Uh, it is an essay collection about many things, including what Niles Crane from Frasier taught her about romance and sexuality. Um, and it's a lot, it turns out. <laughs> then two-time Oscar-nominated filmmaker Lucy Walker is going to stop by to tell us about her new extraordinary film, Bring Your Own Brigade, which takes a look at the California wildfires. Um, as part of this story, Lucy actually embedded with a team of firefighters during the deadliest week of fires in California's history. Uh, we're going to be hearing about that. Plus, we're going to get some music from Broadway star Joshua Henry. And, as always, we're going to be looking for your answers to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the Livewire listeners for next week? Oh, I love this one. What song lyric best describes your life? Yeah. Oh, man. Huh. Yeah. That's going to get some good answers. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> if you've got an answer to that listener question, uh, you can submit it through Twitter or Facebook. We are over there at Livewire Radio. All right, that is going to do it for our show this week. A huge thanks to our guests, Hari Kondabalu, Sarah Scholes, and Angelica Garcia. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Paige Thomas is our social media manager. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixed this episode, along with Corey Schreppel. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we'd like to thank member Craig Collins of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, mosey on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review 
Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 